Good evening. It is Tuesday night here in New York City. You are listening to WBAI-FM 99.5, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. My name is Anne-Marie Hendricks, and the name of this show is A Mansion for the Rat. And I will start by reminding you something that, if you've been listening, you don't even need to be reminded. You know that we are in FunDrive. Uh, we have been in FunDrive, and we're, we're doing okay, but not okay enough. Let me put it that way. Uh, a big thanks to all of you who have already contributed. Uh, we thank you very much for your support. You know that we need it. You know that we cannot get by without it. And so this is addressed to the rest of you who have not. Please, we do need help from you. You can, uh, it's simple, easier than pie, much easier than pie, to contribute by calling 516-620-3602. That's 516-620-3602. Or going to our website, wbai.org clicking on the donation fund drive box and just following the directions from there. Uh, if you you can uh, pledge for any show you want, but I would urge you to do it for my show, Imagine for the Rat. Um, and once, if you pledge $25 or more, you will automatically become a member of Pacifica and can vote on elections and uh, other fine things. Uh, I particularly recommend that you become... Oh, well, be, well, before I get to that, um, we have a ton of premiums, as you know. And uh, if you are interested in that, you can go to the, the donation site and start just browsing through them. You will be surprised at how many there are. Many, many, many things to choose from, if you would like to do it that way. Um, what I would like, but I would like you to do, actually, is become my buddy become a buddy of this show. It is it is easy to do. You just sign up to give a certain amount of money every month automatically through your credit or your debit card. We take it out of your bank account. And um, I don't know, I don't know that there even is a minimum for doing it, but I, you know, I imagine there, I imagine there's a $5 minimum per month. I don't know. It might, I'm going to be wrong on that. Maybe it's less than that. But well, you know, if you can't afford that $5 a month, I guess I will be one. You will be one of the few people that I would say I will let off the hook for this. Because if you couldn't afford five bucks a month to listen to the radio, then God bless you. The rest of us will try and make up the difference. But most of you, I doubt if there are many people here, actually do not have five dollars a month to spend on this. You spend five dollars a month on many, many, many other things that give you less enjoyment, give you less important to your life than this. So, but why stop at five? My goodness, make it fifty, five hundred, a thousand dollars a month. Sky's the limit. For our needs, certainly. Gosh, we never stop needing money around here. And anyway, whatever amount of money is, uh, you know, comfortable for you, please send it. And you could support uh, this show, support the station generally. And when you do that, you become a buddy. And as I said, once it reaches $25, you are a member with all the rights conferred upon you therein. Uh, You also get a tote bag and a BA buddy card. Which actually does, uh, um, you get some discounts at local things. The let me let me check and see even what they are. This since this does count for something. I know one of them is Zipcar, and I think you get uh, to be a member of Zipcar for you at a huge discount. And um, I don't have a driver's license and have no use for it, but boy, boy, if I did, that would be that would be one to jump on. If you haven't thought about it and you think you might want to join Zipcar anyway, be a buddy. Be a pal. Don't just give the money to Zipcar. Give the money to us. And I know one of them is, um, 
a restaurant somewhere on the station called Bacchus that they tell me is good. I don't know. I should go and find out and I could report to you. But it, uh, other station people seem to like it enough that, you know, they've, they've made it part of, my, part of the package. And the other thing is that you get a, a discount membership at the Museum of the City of New York, which is one of my favorite museums in the city of New York. So that that's also pretty worth it in, in that way, too. They have... Um, they just have all kinds of cool things there. I love the uh, the history of the fire department exhibit and you know the dollhouse and all that. They have uh, they have an interesting exhibit now on rebel will rebel women. They're calling it about um, women who defied Victorian Moors. That's an interesting exhibit, and uh, they have ongoing you know exhibits of just like New York activities, activist activities included, which is unusual for a museum and. The thing I'm like, they're getting in the fall though. They're going to have a museum on um, Don Freeman's corduroy, which is one of my favorite picture books. You know, as a librarian. Well, I'm a retired librarian now. I haven't mentioned this, but I am. Oh my God, that's one of my favorite picture books, and such a great New York book. Um, and one of the pioneering books from this time period in the '60s, early '70s, where you were first starting to have a really a real push from librarians, I might add, to get more. Um, African Americans and people of you know children of color generally in in picture books so that they could be seen and and got, you know be in the public library for everyone to use. But Corduroy is such a charming book, and it's a I'm looking forward to that exhibit. That will be a nice one. And if you become a buddy, my friend, you will get in at a discount. You can go to <laughs> you can take a friend. So that's what you're going to want to do. You're going to want to become a buddy, my buddy, the station's buddy. You're going to want to call five one six six two zero three six zero two five one six six two zero three six zero two or go to WBAI.org, uh, click on the donation box, and, you know, examine your options. But your uh, the option I recommend is becoming a buddy of a mansion for the rat. And don't think this is going to be the last you're going to be hearing from me on this, because it's not. But, yes, I will get to uh, some show business here, <laughs> so to speak. Well, the big news of today, and probably by the, you know, by the time... By the time you hear this, and, you know, especially those of you who are going to listen to it later in the archive, you know there's an archive here that you can listen to it later. This show is only there for two weeks because for some reason it's classified as a music show. <clears throat> but uh, there it is. Anyhow, uh, you know, the big the, the big fight in Congress today that has sort of uh, briefly, however briefly, sort of like pushed the, the fight over reuniting the immigrant families off the the front page, off the the top of the news uh, channels, is the fight over uh, the 3D gun thing, the the fight over the internet site that is uh, you know providing blueprints for people to um, you know stick into their 3D printers and make you know make make plastic guns. Now this fascinates me for a couple of reasons. Um, one is, of course, I'm concerned with gun violence. I've talked about it before. Um, but as an anarchist, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little concerned with gun control as it's put forward. If you know, for because the whole idea that everybody should, you know, have the right to have a weapon like that in their home if they wanted to is, you know, doesn't seem like a big deal to me. There are places on this earth, many places, where people have. Um, probably more guns than we have here, and they have equal access to guns as we have here, and yet they're not as violent. They don't seem to go around having these mass random shootings for no reason the way we do here. I'm convinced that that happens here for reasons that have, you know, the access to guns is certainly, I'm not going to pretend that doesn't play a role, but there's more going on than that. And I, I have never figured out what it is, as you know, if you listen to this program, because I've talked about it a lot. I mean, it's it's a puzzle to me. It's a, a sad, depressing puzzle 
to me. But the reason this is coming up in the press the way it is, is because we're not dealing just with guns and gun violence, but with the intersection of guns and gun violence with um, newer forms of technology that frighten people. And somehow everything's very different because it's going through one the internet, which even, you know, 30 years, whatever it is, after 25 years, okay, after the, uh, you know, the development of the World Wide Web, you know, I know of, yes, yes, I know the internet goes back further than that. But the World Wide Web, where even people like your grandma and me can participate, because even people like us who don't know or care about computers can do it. Yes, that internet. And also, you have the idea of the 3D printer, which is, um, most people probably have seen more on television or read about than seen one, unless you're in a school. If you're in an art school, a design school, something like that, you probably have one on campus and probably have spent some time using it. But um, for most people in America, unless that is you or you have a lot of money to just buy one because you, you know, are a gadgeteer and you like to buy things and have the money to do it. They know it because they've seen it a lot already on <laughs> television crime shows where, you know, oh my God, it's like it's this is really a sort of a CSI, NCIS, criminal minds kind of thing where, oh, they're always, everybody's making plastic guns. Law and Order even did it, I, I believe. You know, whatever, just fill in the blanks, whatever crime show you want because people who write for television you follow the news and they read a lot, you know. They're writers, after all, aren't they? So this whole idea of the proliferation of, you know, everybody's got a 3D printer making a plastic gun um, is something I think a lot of people know about even if they've never seen three a uh, plastic gun. Even if they've never seen a 3D printer, they know that it exists. So the idea is not just that there needs to be control on guns, but that people are frightened about new technologies that they don't understand. Reasonably so, I think. I mean, that's why shouldn't they be? These new technologies, you know, don't always turn out to be beneficial for them. So, you know, why shouldn't they be upset? But certainly it's always a news story because everybody likes um, to combine, you know, violence and crime with the idea of a new technology. Or in, in a new technology, and a not-so-new technology, a technology that is new and scary, and yet most people have available to them in their, in their homes. If not, indeed, in their pocket, you know, through their phone. So, um, there's that. And I'm going to, that's why this is such big news, and why, you know, all, they've gotten a bunch of states to come on board with trying to ban it, and everyone wants to be seen, you know, making a statement about it. Um, and I'm going to return to this theme later in the show about some other stuff as well. But this this is uh, interesting thing, number one, about um, the 3D gun ban. Or I should say the uh, the, uh, the the banning, of the, the blocking of the website allowing people to download blueprints for making guns to use in 3D printers. That's the actual ban. Now, the other interesting thing about this is that the website in question... Now, the other thing that interests me, of course... Um, well, a couple of things. First, as an anarchist, the, the, I mean, the Defense Distributed, which is the website in question, or I should say the larger organization that runs, that was set up this website called um, DEFCAD, which stood for, I get Defense, um, CAD being a, a, you know, computer-aided uh, design. You know, all the all these things where you where you'd use for not just a CD printer, but those, um, mil, you know, uh, what am I say? Tool milling machines that 
can be um, that you can put a, a, a computerized blueprint into it and we'll, we'll make it out of not just, you know, just plastic, but things. It's not a 3D printer, but it, it makes it in more conventional ways, but it makes it um, with the aid of a, of a, a computer pattern. And um, as of the time when I went on the air, they, they have shut down They've all the, uh, you know, the, they have been legally shut down. And I don't know what's going to be happening by, you know, like I said, by the time you hear this, by tomorrow morning, things could be different. But it is interesting because, uh, you know, whatever you may think the real world um, implications of what he's doing, or if you know more about this group... He described himself as an anarchist. I mean, uh, you know, it's a, he's a Cato Institute anarchist, a big L libertarian anarchist. I mean, I think he's far to the right of that, but there is such a thing as far-right anarchism. And in fact, I think far-right anarchism pretty much turns into fascism because that's kind of the difference. You know, if you don't believe in real democracy, then, you know, you, you move into fascism pretty readily. Um I mean, Cody Wilson claims, who is the, the founder of this site and has, you know, he has a, a group behind him. You can see, you know, Wired Magazine did an article about them earlier in the month. They've done a series of articles over the years, but uh, you can look it for yourself. I mean, he has a little group together in Austin, Texas, where he lives, and they look kind of like an anarchist group. They're whiter than the average anarchist group in Texas, by the way. Um, not terribly surprising, I suppose. In fact, although, I mean, that in and of itself ought to be, you know, is, is a big red flag to me, personally, because uh, anarchist groups in places that, you know, like places like Texas and Los Angeles and New York are not all white, you know? They never are. I've, I've never been in one where, where it was like that. So if you have a group in Texas that's an all-white group, that and especially in Austin, you know, which is a pretty groovy joint, that suggests to me that... Um, it suggests things to me. <laughs> um, if you know the Southern Poverty Law Center considers that uh, a lot of things he's he's involved in, like outright white supremacist stuff. So I'm not. I haven't made a major study of it, but I'm always concerned with someone who has like you know un- unpleasant ideas like this puts themselves forward in the press and the international media as an anarchist. I mean, he says he admires that his hero, intellectual hero, is John Baudrillard. He loves Foucault. He's a follower of Proudhon. Um, you know, he's a smart guy, clearly. A reader. Probably a guy with a library card, which brings me into my next point, which is also interesting about him. Now, I don't know what happened to this plan, but, in fact, I think I'm going to go to the Wired, I think it was the Wired article that had this. His plan was to make his organization into a public library and that that would be his way of fighting, um, fighting on constitutional grounds, which is an interesting one, to say the least. Let me look. Okay, here it is. Oh, and by the by, they mentioned in this article that um, the the main thing that they sell actually this it's three D printers are a minor thing. As I said, they're expensive, and there aren't that many people that have them. It's these other more common the you know the computer assisted milling machines. You know that just makes they make things in metal and make more standard um, items are not that expensive. Apparently, they sell them directly through the website. They are about seventeen hundred dollars, which I believe is less than a, a smart oven. You know, I mean, it's not it's really nothing that pricey. And you can make guns and many other things in one of these things. And a lot of people have them anyway, because they're doing things like milling their own, they're, you know, they're milling their own tools, um, or milling, milling their own tools, and, or their own car parts. That would, That's a big one. That's actually one of the, the major markets for it is people that have um, older car models and can no longer get um, engine parts. And then they, you know, they make, the, they make their own parts for their car. 
I guess Kosh brought this since I brought a sport ovens. I bet it's for other kinds of things, other household appliances, but cars for sure. I know that people who, who are into cars use these things. And, uh, you know, probably a lot of people with a garage, uh, you know, some kind of home workshop in the garage could afford to have one of these things. And if they want to put out guns, they could. There you go. Now, my feeling is they could make, you know, if you could do that, you probably could make your gun anyway. With, if you had, you know, a model from a book or something. And this is where we get into the library thing. And this is fascinating to me. Now, I mean, he made his first, this guy Cody Wilson made his first um, successful 3D printed gun, the kind that would not blow up your hand, I think in 2013. The Liberator, it was called. And so this has been a long time coming, this fight that was going on today to some come to a head today. But earlier this year, he had this idea that, uh, let's see, here we go, that he was he was going to, he knew though that he was going to continue his uh, legal fight. And he had, he had a brilliant idea. And this is from uh, a Wired episode from July, Wired episode, a Wired magazine article from July 10th of this year by Andy Greenberg. Um, After a tour of the machine shop, Wilson leads me away from the industrial war of its milling machines, out the building's black mirrored glass doors, and through a grassy patch to its black, to its back entrance. Inside is a far quieter scene. A large, high-ceilinged, dimply, dimly fluorescent lit warehouse space filled with half a dozen rows of gray metal shelves, mostly covered in seemingly random collections of books from the decline and fall of the Roman Empire to the Hunger Games. He proudly points out that it includes the entire run of Penguin Classics and the entire Criterion Collection, close to 900 Blu-rays. This, he tells me, will be the library. And why is Defense Distributed building a library? Wilson, who cites Baudrillard, Foucault, and Nietzsche at least once in practically any conversation, certainly doesn't mind the patina of erudition it lends to what is essentially a modern-day gun-running operation. But as usual, he, he does have an ulterior motive. If he can get this room certified as an actual official public library, he'll unlock another giant collection of existing firearm data. The U.S. military maintains records of the specs for thousands of firearms in technical manuals stored on reels and reels of microfiche cassettes, but only federally approved libraries can access them. By building a library complete with an actual microfiche viewer in one corner, Wilson is angling to access the U.S. military's entire public archive of gun data, which he eventually hopes to digitize and include on defcad.com. Two. 90% of the technical data is already out there. This is a huge part of our overall digital intake strategy. Hipsters will come here and check out movies. Hmm, yeah, sure they will. Independent of its actual purpose, which is a stargate for absorbing ancient army technical manuals. Um, yeah, well, I'll continue with this. Browsing that movie collection, I nearly trip over something large and hard. I, found, I look down and find a granite tombstone with the words American Gun Control engraved on it. Wilson explains he has a plan to embed it in the under a tree outside when he gets around to it. It's maybe a little on the nose, but I think you know where I'm going with it, he says. Wilson's library will serve a more straightforward purpose, too. In one corner stands a server rack that will host DefCAD's website and back-end database. He doesn't trust any holding company to hold his controversial files. And he likes the optics of storing his crown jewels in a library should any of his reversal of legal fortunes result in a raid. If you want to come get it, you're going to have to attack a library, he says. Now, I don't actually know how this worked out for him, but, oh my God, that is brilliant. Especially as someone, you know, who spent 36 years working in the near public library, I can tell you. Like, exploiting the weaknesses of the library, child's play, and brilliant. And the great thing is having a microfiche reader. I, I, how many, I don't think many libraries, <laughs> I don't know the last time I saw one in a library. I mean, a research library, maybe, the research, but it, it is even in the research libraries, it isn't used that much. But to get a microfiche reader just so you could get, 
you know, become a, a government depository of the gun data. That is, he's, he's clearly a, a smart man, um, if a scary one. In fact, let's go, well, we're being scary. Let's go to the last part of the piece. Oh, Texas. Okay, this is, this is the last section in the article I was reading, which is, as I said, from Wired Magazine from July 10th of this year by Andy Greenberg on Cody Wilson of Defense Distributed. On the subject of attack, he has something else to show me. Wilson pulls out a small embroidered badge. It depicts a red dismembered arm on a white background. The arm's hand grips a curved sword with blood dripping from it. The symbol, Wilson explains, once flew on a flag above the Goliath Fort in South Texas. and Texas's revolution against Mexico in the 1830s, Goliath's fort was taken by the Mexican government and became the site of a massacre of 400 American prisoners of war, one that's far less widely remembered than the Alamo. Wilson recently ordered a full-size flag with the sword-wielding bloody arm. He wants to make it a new symbol for his group. His interest in the icon, he explains, dates back to the 2016 election when he was convinced Hillary Clinton was set to become the president and lead a massive crackdown on firearms. Uh, if that happened, as Wilson tells it, he was ready to launch his DEFCAD repository, regardless of the outcome of his lawsuit, and then defended it in an armed standoff. I'd call a militia out to defend the server, Bundy style, Wilson says calmly, in the first overt mention of planned armed violence I've ever heard him make. Our only option was to build an infrastructure where we had one final suicidal mission, where we dumped everything into the internet, Wilson said. Goliath became an inspirational thing for me. Oh, let's... Well, let's skip this stuff. It doesn't take a degree in semiotics to see how the Goliath flag suits defense distributed. It reads like the logical escalation of the NRA's cold dead hand slogan of the last century. In fact, it may be the perfect symbol not just for defense distributed's mission, but for the country that produced it, where firearms result in tens of thousands of deaths a year, vastly more than any other development nation in the world, yet groups like Wilson's continue to make more progress in undermining gun control than lawmakers do in advancing it. It's a flag that represents the essence of violent extremist ideology, an arm that, long after blood is spilled, refuses to let go. Instead, it only tightens its grip on its weapon as a matter of principle forever. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a, that's a nice roundup, I think of this. And as I said, it's always um, upsetting and disturbing to me that this kind of position is presented as anarchism. I mean, it's not my kind of anarchism, but, you know, we don't have a central committee. You know, if what you, if you think you're an anarchist, you are. And, you know, as I said, there, there you know, a certain, I can see how certain anarchist approaches could lead you to this. They have historically. It's, this is particular kind of form of right-wing anarchism has a long history in the United States, especially. And I will just mention at this time that for those of you just tuned in, you are listening to WBAI-FM New York, 99.5 FM, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. My name is Anne-Marie Hendrickson, and the name of the show is A Mansion for the Rat. And before I go on to more uh, content of a sort, um, I have to remind you again that we are in Fund Drive and we do need funds. Thank you, uh, of course, to all of you who have generously donated during this fund drive and during the previous fund drives. We couldn't do it without you. And for those of you who have not, well, here's your chance. Please do give. Uh, a, a minimum donation of $25 will get you a membership in the station with all the benefits therein. 
You'll get plenty of stuff. You will see. Uh, if you want to see uh, what some other things might be, if you want to go a little higher than that, go beyond, you can uh, give a more generous donation if you can afford it and get a premium. We have many to choose from. Go to WBAI.org. Go to the donation page and you can get an eyeful of what is available to you if you should choose to do that. You would. The best thing for us really is if you become a buddy of the station, and particularly a buddy of this show, a management for the rap, uh, you, it is simple, could not be simpler. You agree to give a certain amount of money. Sky's the limit. Give as much as you want. As no, no donation is too large. And we'll take small donations too. Whatever you can afford, whatever you can comfortably afford to give us um, every month. It will be do, you know, deducted automatically from your bank account or debit card or whatever. You will not notice it. You don't have to, like, remember to do it and send it in. It just happens. And it just happens that we get the money and we know it's coming in. So every month we know exactly that we're going to be getting these amounts of donations and all the time without sort of stumbling from one, uh, you know, fund drive to the next, hoping that we get the money. So that's really beneficial for us and it's beneficial for you. So if you want to do that, and you should want to do that, do become a buddy. Go to WBAI.org and follow the directions. It's probably the simplest way for those of you who have internet access. For those of you who prefer whatever reason to do it on the phone, call 516-620-3602, 516-620-3602. And um, once you become a buddy, you get all these. You get a tote bag. And for a while, they were given a tote bag a tote bag grab bag with other stuff in it. I don't I think they're still doing that to the end of the month. So I think you probably may come in on the tail end of that giveaway. And also you get um, benefits at uh, places around town. You get you get a discounted membership in Zipcar, which I think probably is the the for those who drive and drive a car or want, you know, access to a car like Zipcar car service like that where you just can get a car, rent a car for a while when you need one. Uh, it looks like it's a quite a substantial discount. I don't drive. I don't have a driver. I do. Well, I should say. I, I know how to drive. I grew up in California, as I can't shut up about. So you know I know how to drive, but I don't have a driver's license anymore. So I couldn't use it. But boy, if I did, this would be a good one to get. And uh, as I said, the museum, the, the discount membership of the Museum of City of New York, I think is a great one too. So do it. Call 516-620-3602 or go to WBAI.org and do become a member of the station. Uh, do pledge. Do become a buddy of a mansion for the rat. And now to go on with um, other thoughts that were brought to mind by this, um, oh, this gun thing, this, con- you know, this whole media, media wonder around, uh, well, violence, <laughs> always an issue, uh, but a social problem and what is a new media and what is perceived as a new media. Um just a couple, couple of things that um, things I've been watching on television came came to mind, or should so I see, seem to kind of uh, come into play. Where I was reminded them by watching all this uh, 3D printer gun stuff tonight. Um, if I may share a little personal stuff with you, I have. Um, well, as I said, I reti- I retired from the public library a couple of months ago, and retirement is great. I mean, this whole thing that you get bored and all this, maybe maybe it's going to come, but I worked for full-time for so long, for, you know, 36 years, and I am thrilled about not having to do it for a while, to not have those kind of demands on my time. You know, I'm, I'm just allowing myself to just decompress and chill and not do anything. 
Um, well, I mean, I do things. I have, you know, people I deal with have to take care of the cats and my plants and other things. But I'm just, you know, hanging out for the most part, cooking, shopping, doing, you know, food shopping anyway, doing some other stuff, reading. Um, but one of the things I've been doing is injuring myself as, as sort of like one of my hobbies, apparently. Um, as I may or may not have mentioned before, I have a, you know, I have an ongoing problem with um, arthritis. My joints swell up and it's really, I just can't, you know, walk on them or anything. And it's, uh, it just takes some rest and a certain amount of, you know, different kinds of herbal therapies and, you know, bringing down the swelling. But one of the things that happens if you know, as you probably know, if you have problems with your feet, which is where most of my problems have been, is that, um, or anything with your legs, anything with the walking, is that when you injure one thing, you favor it and you tend to have another injury that comes from it. And that's sort of what has happened to me this week and I'm not quite sure how I did it um I had a terrible um kind of um what am I trying to say attack I guess I should say of arthritis in my um my left foot and my my big toe and my the ball of my foot and you know the the toes over there and it's just really really hard really painful to walk on and um you know, but I, as I said, I know I try to work around it. If it's not too terribly bad, I do try to stay active with it because being, you know, without going crazy, it's not something you can just like, quote, walk off. Um, it's best to keep, you know, your muscles active. You know, you don't want to just, you know, sit and let your, and get paralyzed. You know, you don't want to, it's better to keep your general, the, the rest of your body sort of in shape so that you can, you know, work around it. And, um, how I did this, I do not know, but I really threw out my left knee, which is, so funny, <laughs> not really, because I did something almost identical about a year ago, a year and a half ago, I guess, and in a similar way. I mean, in that case, I was just walking down the stairs in the subway, and I felt my knee just sort of give. And that that's sort of what happened here, except I don't even quite remember it giving. I just know that I my left foot was killing me. It was really hard to walk on. But I did go out and sort of walk around the neighborhood and do a little food shopping, and I watered my plants and sat outside with them and, you know, went and did a little walking on stairs, but mostly just walking flat. And, oh, my God, <laughs> I woke up and, you know, my knee is killing me. I don't know. You know, it will, it will get better. It's not that not that big of a deal. As I said, it is a, it's, not a, it's not a break or anything. It's more just I've wrenched a muscle, and until that muscle feels like being on my side again, then I'm just, it just, I just got to deal with it. And it's um, painful and annoying. And the really annoying thing is here I am at this point in my life where like, I really finally have the time to go out and do all these things to just, you know, kind of see the city, walk around the city in a way that I mostly didn't have time. And I seem to have spent a lot of it not being, um, not being in bad health. I haven't been sick exactly, but just sort of injuring me, injuring myself in a way or getting, Getting injured in a way that makes it difficult to walk, which is the most frustrating thing. You know, when you feel like you could go outside, you'd like to go out and do things, and you just can't stand on your legs, you know. It is a drag, my friends. Um, so I've been watching some TV. <laughs> um, I mean, not like I don't watch TV anyway, but I'm watching more because I've been trying to, you know, ice my knee and keep it elevated and do other things. And so I've been lucky to have some you know, interesting things to watch. And the first one I'm going to mention is, I've only watched part of it, but, um, and I wish I could have seen more of it, but um, Turner Classic Movies did a whole day of programming that had something to do with a radio, you know, fictional films that were in some way, shape, or form set in the world of radio broadcasting in the 30s and 40s. 
and of course, wow, there's nothing. I mean, ever since I started doing working in radio myself, well, what, well, volunteering. <laughs> let's get real. In radio, I've been fascinated by the thing where they show old radio shows in in the movies, and especially since one of the things I do outside of here, as I may have mentioned before, is that I am one of the people who does the manual sound effects for the Gotham Radio Players, which is a a wonderful audio radio theater group. Uh, Stephen Lewis is the director, and Max Schmidt is the producer. And we have all kinds of talented uh, actors and performers because this is New York, and you can get them. And people seem, you know, eager to work with us. And we have a production crew that is, you know, is really good. We've done some really good performances over the years. I wish we were still doing more. When we were at the this location and the location before, it have not been really ideal for bringing large performer and performing groups in. And I think in our case, maybe. There were other things. Sometimes people just are sort of at a point in their life where they can't, you know, they can't spend weeks preparing for a performance. Um, but we are going to be doing something at the Mid-Atlanta Nostalgia Convention in September. Also, I'll be talking more about it. But back to my point, I, that one of the things that I have developed an interest in, because I've been doing it now for nigh on 20 years, as I do, is manual sound effects. As done in these old radio shows. So anything, any old movie that shows... You know, a radio studio is something I'm interested in. And so the first one I think I watched was something called Remote Control from MGM in 1930, uh, starring William Haynes. Now, William Haynes is someone that I knew about. I've seen a few movies of his. I, I saw, he's mostly bigger in the silent era. I saw Tell It to the Marines, where he, because it was, it called starred Lon Chaney. So, of course, I'm going to see anything with Lon Chaney. He was in a quite funny comedy with Marion Davies called Show People, which I've seen because I like Marion Davies. Gosh, let me think of something else. Oh, and uh, oh, Slide Kelly Slide, a baseball movie where he played um, King Kelly, uh, the, you know the Vic, you know the nineteenth century baseball star. And but I also am interested in because he was. Oh, what was the book that came out a couple of years ago? Let me stop a second and look it up. There, it's a book by William Mann called Wisecracker. It came out about. I thought it, I thought it was more recent. It's twenty years ago. Wisecracker: The Life of Hollywood's First Openly Gay Star. And it is William's man's contention that uh, Haynes' career was cut short in the sound era because he refused to uh, butch it up enough, you know, to pretend to be straight. And I don't know, having seen a couple of his sound films now, I do not know the problem, but I can tell you part of it is he just is not a likable. And in sound, he's just the most annoying guy you've ever seen in your life, which didn't really strike me in the silent things that I have seen. I haven't seen all of his movies by any, by a long shot, but the ones that I saw, he was sort of always played this kind of, um, oh, kind of the... I was going to say, in that era, maybe Harold Lloyd played it. In the current era, it would be much more familiar to you as the kind of part that um, Tom Cruise played. Um, not to say anything about current rumors, but, um, you know, Tom Cruise always plays a guy or, you know, now he's older and doesn't do it, but when his, he sort of made his career of playing a young, arrogant, uh, full of himself kind of a guy who, you know, learned a, learned a life lesson in the course of the film and he turned out to really be a nice guy. And that William Haynes always played that kind of a role. And now I've seen these two movies. I've seen this movie I'm talking about, Remote Control. And I saw um, another one called Are You Listening that came out a few years later after he'd been uh, lost his job at uh, MGM. And he's just, his, he has a, it's not just, he doesn't have a great speaking voice, 
but it's more he just doesn't he's not likable he doesn't come across in a likable way and I do not know whether that's him or because you know he wasn't getting the support he needed to be more likable I don't know but this movie I'm going to love focus on this one remote control and the reason I'm focusing on it is because it is very much uh, has to do with how with the intersection of the public perception of the intersection between been um, crime and new technology because the whole idea of this taking place in a radio station is new. This is a nineteen. This movie came in nineteen thirty, and basically, uh, national broadcast radio was a new thing at that point. It really was uh, had not had not been around for a long time, and yet they're already complaining in the movie. The guy is already complaining. He's a continuity writer for the station, and. Um, He's already complaining that, uh, that gosh, there sure is a lot of garbage on the air. There, there's a lot of, um, what I like about movies, older movies, these pre-code movies. I mean, pre-code movies are sort of a thing. You know, it's easier to find them now than it used to be. But I'm just always, it's a, you know, it's a, a peep into the past. You know, it's a, a glimpse of kind of, um, you just, just see something about everyday life. Even though, you know, it's not a documentary. But you just see things that are assumed in the movie that um, often are, you know, take you by surprise they're not things that you you would expect to see um in this one the the one of the surprising things it's not surprising i mean i knew it but it's still again you see it that his first job that he gets fired from is that he works as a clerk in a music store and a music store in those days mostly sold sheet music that's the bulk of the you know what you see as the stock on the walls in the store behind the counter on the walls and everything else there's a big grand piano where the clerk can play it for the customer or more likely the customer goes and plays it for him or herself and they're buying the sheet music they do have records too but records seem like a really small part of the stock the big thing that they're selling is sheet music and so there's that and uh, through a series of, oh, you know, just lucky breaks, he ends up sort of meeting an old friend in the street who, it turns out, owns a radio station that is failing, and he gets a job. They somehow think that this guy is just the bee's knees, and he's going to keep it together. He's going to, you know, bring it back from bankruptcy for them. And that next part of the film is probably the best part of it, where he sort of starts interviewing a lot of people that are, are trying out if they put an ad in the paper. The two funniest of them are um, Cliff Edwards... Um, ukulele like to me perhaps uh, Jiminy Cricket to you <laughs> who comes in and does a hog collar act and doesn't get on the air and the best one by far is Benny Rubin the great um, Yiddish you know Yiddish uh, theater comedian who comes in and does this incredible act as he claims he is a huge cowboy star from the radio has a heavy Yiddish accent where he's doing his cowboy act where he's you know reciting the poems of Robert Service and the face on the ballroom the face on the barroom floor and all this other <laughs> corneal stuff but the basic thing is he's doing Dangerous Dan McGrew which in his accent turns into Dangerous Dan the Jew and that could have gone on for much longer for my for, for my seat uh, that was so much funnier than most of the other supposed comedy in the movie I don't you know I don't know why they didn't do more of that. Well, I can tell you why, because they, what they were doing was, uh, this was a vehicle for William Haynes to show his stuff. And so it turns out he takes over much of the broadcast day doing incredibly unfunny comedy and bad impressions. But, I mean, they're supposed to be great. It's supposed to be great comedy and wonderful impressions. Um, the best thing about that was that he has a machine over by the microphone. And all those microphones that are kill for these fantastic, you know, um, old electric microphones where he has, it's a wheel of hands all, you know, hidden against each other, and he turns it, you know, he turns it with a crank, and then you hear the sound of applause. I thought, oh, we have to make that one for Gotham. 
Surely we have to make that. I mean, it's uh, unfortunately, I have a feeling it didn't really work and they didn't really use it in real life. It looks like something that is a great visual gag that isn't really, really used in radio, I suspect. But what brings us into the crime and technology thing for me is that the plot of the film is that a guy, we see a, a leader of a criminal a criminal leader and his gang are listening to the radio and the criminal snaps his fingers and says, by George, I've got it. It's a great idea. I'm going to, if they're looking for people to be on this radio station, I'm going to, by George, I'm going to get on this radio station. Pretend I'm going to do a psychic act, a phone-in or write-in psychic act, I should say. People write in letters and I will answer them and I will give out codes to all of you so that we can pull our... uh, bank robberies so and eventually our hero William Haynes you know figures this out and uh, catches the bank robber gets the girl and everything and again it's really hard to believe that he get the girl but the only reason is because basically there is the girl's brother the bad guy in him so by process of elimination I guess he's the guy but they have no chemistry as I said he seems supremely annoying Um, like I would say Adam Sandler, but he's more annoying than Adam Sandler. He's just, it's really hard to, see. it's very, very easy to see, for me to see why he did not go on to a successful career in talking pictures. He's just not. And it's funny because they, people, someone like John Gilbert, I've seen John Gilbert in a number of things. Buster Keaton, and I mentioned Buster Keaton because one of the many, this, this movie that I'm discussing had several different directors whose names I think are not on the picture, but one of them was Edward Sedgwick, who worked a lot with Buster Keaton, did a lot of um, uh, silent and sound comedies for MGM, and was, was a pretty good director. So, you know, there are plenty of people that have this reputation of being crushed by the sound period that I've seen their movies and I don't see any reason why you wouldn't have gone to see them. Whatever the problem was, it wasn't that they, you know, had anything to fear from the microphone. But Haynes, no, sorry. I mean, I wish I could say that I could go along with this theory that he was just too gay for Hollywood in those days, but I don't think it's true. He did go on to a big career as an interior designer, by the way. Huge. And he, all that sort of like white furniture you see in the old like those Sarah Rogers movies and stuff. These chase everybody's lying around in a chase lounge without any size and everything is white. That's you know his designs. But to go back to my point, um, the thing that is really um, was the selling point of this film and what people would, were excited about is the idea that now you have this new technology, the radio. It's in everybody's house. Nobody's quite sure how it works. In many cases, I think they're not sure it's safe. You know, a lot of people, I think, were afraid of electricity, for that matter. And you have this radio in everybody's house, and God, a criminal could exploit it for their own ends, as they do in the film. And this is just, there's, everybody's always been out of shape about this idea. There's a new technology, people don't get it, and it could be used for nefarious purposes. I just there's a certain kind of paranoia around it. I mean, it's a common plot, as I know from... I mean, one of my projects is actually to see as many of these radio pictures as I can. And I have not... There's a lot of them, even though I'm aware of them, that I haven't seen. It's just too... It's a life project for me, let me put it that way. Um, I don't feel like I have to see them all at once, but I do hope to eventually see them. But the idea of 
someone's criminal activities being aided and abetted by radio technology is a common thing, partially because murder mysteries make a good plot for, you know, a story for a play, a book, a movie. But also I think there is a, a fear around it and that um, people are kind of fascinated by, by that idea. I think the idea, I mean, I would like to know when the people first started having the fear, the delusional fear that people on the radio were talking directly to them and giving them directions and stuff, because that's a big idea in these movies too. I mean, this one has it very straightforwardly that the person writes in that he is this uh, phony psychic is... They're big, they're big on phony psychics in the 20s and 30s, too, as you probably know if you watch these movies. It's almost, you know, the supernatural movies are few and far between. It always turns out that the ghost is not real. Um, and the psychic hasn't really seen any ghosts. The idea that he's going on a radio show and is supposed to be helping you, but really he's just aiding his gang. And he's sending out very, very specific signals to those who are able to understand them. And I, I think this idea that radio is this very, very intimate medium, is sending signals to those who are able to understand them. I think sort of kickstarts a whole new era in mental illness, too. Um, well, let me just leave that one hanging. I've had problems this with this recording, <laughs> to be honest. I hope that it works out. Um, but you know what would really help? Is for you, well, before I, for you to do what? Well, First, I'll tell you what you're doing it for. You're doing it for WBAI-FM here in New York City, 99.5. My name is Henry Hendricks, and the name of the show is A Mansion of the Red. And you should become a supporter of the station. We are in FunDrive. We need your funds. Uh, call, you can call 516-620-3602, 516-620-3602, or even better yet, go to WBAI.org. Uh, go to the Donate button and follow the directions in there. There's a whole bunch of ways you can donate to us. All of them are helpful. Please do one of them. Um, the one that I think is the easiest for you and, you know, in some ways the easiest and simplest and best for us is for you to become a buddy of the station. Please become a buddy of this show, I mentioned for the rat. Uh, in doing becoming a buddy, what you do is you have, agree to have a certain amount of money deducted from your bank account or your debit card or whatever every month uh, so you don't have to think about it. It's not a lot of money, or it could be a tremendous amount of money, but it should be a amount of money that you can afford to give us. Um, and then we know we're getting that much money every month, and that's great. Great for you, great for us. Well, I've uh, come to the end of my time here, and I will be back with you next week uh with more more to say about uh technology and crime i actually have some more stuff i didn't have time to get to and i will i will get to it and in the meantime what you should get to is you should get to listen to the next show the haitian all-stars with their wonderful music don't forget to pay your pledge be a buddy be a pal this has been a mansion for the rat i have been Marie hendrickson you're listening to wbai fm in new york city good night